0: Amen. I mean, we could just stop right there, right? I mean, I was, was a little too hearty of an amen there. Man, it's so good to see you this morning at South City Church. My name is Drew Klein, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, so many friends with us, uh, just so glad you're here. Thanks for being with us. I love baptisms, I love celebrating the Lord and celebrating people who find him, right? It is the greatest thing in the world. Uh, No, maybe you didn't hear me. Jesus is the greatest thing in the world. And when you find him, when you find him, when you know him, when you experience that kind of life-changing, sin-forgiving moment, it changes everything. It changes your world, it changes the world, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Man, we're so glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, we, uh, before we get going, i got to say a big thank you to my dear friend Jeff Franks for an amazing job last week. We love you, brother. We are an elder-led church, and so it's important that all of our elders have an opportunity to share their heart with you, for you to see the brilliance of who they are and, and What God has done in their lives. And I just love the men that I get to serve with as elders here at South City. So, Jeff, thank you so much for that. We've been in a series in the book of Acts for five summers. This is our fifth summer. And uh, we're going to finish it up this summer, Lord willing. Uh, But it's just been such a wonderful, wonderful story of the church. I love it. Today, we're going to continue that study in Acts chapter 26. Jeff, finished up chapter 25, and uh, we still have Paul in prison. My friend Larry said, is Paul getting out of prison today? I said, I don't think so, brother. (laughs) So I'm just so glad uh, that you're here to study with us in this uh, series. So Paul has been in prison in Caesarea in this uh, palace of Herod. There's a Roman palace uh, that was in Caesarea, which is just right there on the coast Uh, down the hill, if you will, but north of Jerusalem. And Paul has been made a prisoner there for over two years. Can you imagine being in prison for two years for no good reason and no real charge? Right? He's just sort of been hanging out. Uh, But there's this governor. If you remember the story of Jesus' crucifixion, you remember the governor, Pontius Pilate. He was replaced by a guy by the name of Felix. Felix uh, wasn't a great guy. And uh, he tried Paul. One of the many times that Paul had to defend himself, he has five different defenses. Today we're going to look at the fifth defense. Felix was the third. He had to defend himself before Felix, the governor, as well as the Jews, who were making all these accusations about him. And then after he said, I don't have anything against this guy, I'm not sure, but I'm going to leave him in prison as a favor to the Jews. So Paul stays in prison, and then the next governor comes. His name is Festus. Festus is not much better of a guy either, and so Paul defends himself before Festus. Festus says, you know what, I don't know what to charge this guy. I, I have, I, he seems innocent to me. I, I don't know what I should charge him with. But Paul says, you know what, I want to see Caesar. I want to take this case to Caesar in Rome. Caesar at, uh, at the time was Caesar Nero. Maybe that name rings a bell to you, and wasn't, he wasn't a good person He was brutal to Christians, but earlier in his reign, he wasn't quite as bad. And this is the time that Paul has appealed to Caesar. So Festus says, listen, he's appealed to Caesar. He's going to go to Caesar. But now I've got to send him to Caesar without a charge. (laughs) Now I'm going to look like an idiot because I got to send him to Caesar and I haven't, there's no real reason that he's in jail. And yet we've kept him in jail for over two years. So King Herod Agrippa enters the picture. And he is, uh, as we have said before, he's a long, part of a long line of bad folks called the Herods. It was his grandfather that wanted to kill Jesus when he was an infant in Bethlehem. And ironically, here's now the apostle Paul preaching to the grandson, King Herod Agrippa II, so that he would bend his knee to the true king of kings. See the irony there? So... Here's Paul speaking, giving his fifth defense, and uh, we're going to take a look at that today in Acts 26. If you've got your Bibles, open them up with me. Acts 26, verses 1 through 8 to start with. We're going to go all the way through verse 23 today. Acts 26, 1 says, So Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself? Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you're familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee, And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I'm accused by Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Let's pray as we get into this story of the church. Father, thank you for this morning. Oh, Lord, I can't, even, I can't even put words to what my soul and my heart are feeling today. I'm so full of joy for the life you've given these 10 people. Lord, thank you for saving their souls. Thank you for their obedience to follow you in baptism. And I, I, God, I pray with all my heart that you would make us the church that can equip them to become disciples of Jesus to know you so that they can turn around and make other authentic disciples for your glory. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story. I pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit of God that you would help me to decrease in this moment, that you would increase, that you would lead us to all truth and help us to understand you better as we spend this time in your word. In Jesus' precious and perfect name, and God's people said, amen, amen. So this is Paul's fifth defense on these bogus charges that he's been brought up on. This time he's gonna give his defense to the king. Even as I say that, even as as I say Paul's gonna give his defense to testify, testimony to the king. My heart and my mind goes back a few summers ago to Acts chapter nine. You remember when we studied in Acts chapter nine, right? And so what's happening is Paul, or who was Saul at the time, He's on his way to punish Jews for being Christians. He's on his way all over the known world to to punish people in synagogues, to bring them back to Jerusalem, to even murder some of them for their faith in Jesus. And so he's on his way, and Jesus appears to him in a a light that's brighter than the sun, the, the text says. And Jesus explains some things to him. And after he explains some things to Paul, we're going to get into that in just a minute, but after he explains some things to Paul, he, he appears to this guy by the name of Ananias. I love this story of Ananias because he says, Ananias, I want you to go to this guy, Saul, and I want you to pray over him. And Ananias kind of goes, <coughs> uh, excuse me, uh, Saul, Saul? Like Saul, Saul, the guy who's killing Christians, you want me to go to that guy, right? And Jesus is like, yes, that's Saul. It'll be okay, right? But listen to what he tells Ananias. Jesus tells Ananias in Acts nine fifteen. Look here. But the Lord said to him, to Ananias, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and what? Kings. And the children of Israel. In this moment, Paul is seeing this prophecy of Jesus fulfilled. Right? His faith is just continually being emboldened because everything Jesus says is true. Everything he promises will happen. He's a promise keeper. And so that's exactly what's going on in this moment. He's seeing this prophecy fulfilled as he's testifying to a king. So Paul starts off his defense. The text says he, he stretches out his, his hand, which is like a, a sign of respect, if you would. He says, I'm so glad I'm giving my defense to you this, this day, uh, Festus. I'm sorry, Agrippa the second. Because he's king of the Jews, and if you're king of the Jews, you would know the customs of the Jews. You would know the controversies of the Jews. You're part of our people. You know who we're like. It's kind of like uh, you know, growing up Baptist. You can anywhere you go in a Baptist situation, you're like, "We're my people, right?" There's going to be a potluck, I'm sure. Same sort of deal. He looks at uh, Agrippa the second and says, "My people, you're going to understand the things I say because you're one of us." But then Paul says something that he's going to kind of reiterate through his uh, testimony here. He says, Agrippa, the things that I've been preaching, the things that I've been saying, the things that I've been doing all these last few years, it's nothing new. It's not a new sect of Judaism. It's not new information. In fact, what you think is new is actually old, right? This is, this is what the prophets have been saying for thousands of years and I'm just holding on to what they've said. I'm just actually believing what they said was going to happen has happened. This is what Paul is saying, the new is old. Look with me in verse four, it says, my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known me for a long time and if they're willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I've lived as a Pharisee. They all know me, right? Paul was uh, raised up in the faith by Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers in the pharisaical faith of Judaism. So he's saying, people know me around here. They know who I was. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. These prophecies, these things that have already been said in the scriptures that we trust, that we know, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I'm accused by Jews, O king. And then you see Paul do something I think is very interesting. It's like he turns to his accusers, hands open wide, and he says this statement. Why is it thought incredible to any of you that God raises the dead? It's this rhetorical question, like, really? Why does that seem so fantastic to anybody that our God who delivered us from Egypt can't raise someone from the dead. So you just get this moment as he's looking at these Jews. He says our tribes, our 12 tribes have worshipped night and day. We've read in the synagogues night and day hoping for this Messiah that was promised in these scriptures. We knew that this Messiah would, would come, that he would suffer, but he would be raised again and, and I'm telling you he's come and his name is Jesus. So here Paul's bringing attention to a couple of things when he asks this question. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? He's he's bringing attention to two things. Number one, the first is this. Do you not believe the prophecies? (laughs) Like you call yourselves Jewish leaders, but do you not believe the prophecies of our faith? And worse, do you not believe the God of our faith? They're being exposed, aren't they? So Paul's going to keep this theme going. This is not a new faith. This is not a new claim. It's part of the faith that you claim to believe and live by as Jews. I like the way Martin Luther put it so many years ago. He said, we teach no new thing, but we repeat and establish old things, which the apostles and all godly teachers have taught us before. All that they've they've taught us. They've taught before us. We don't teach anything new. This is not a place where you're going to hear something new. We want to repeat and establish old things. And I just want to say amen to that. we got nothing new to give you today. If you have something new that you're believing, that's just an old heresy. The Bible is not new. The truths of Scripture are not new. They're old. We don't need to believe in something new. We need to believe in something old and live like we believe it. Acts 26, verse 9. we continue reading through our text. It says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus. This is what Paul's doing right here. He's making a connection from this Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah to Jesus. Do you see that? The Old Testament says we're searching for a Messiah. He's going to come. He's going to do these things. And then he automatically makes this transition and says, in essence, that's Jesus. Jesus is that Messiah. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. What I want you to see this morning is in every defense that Paul has given, in all five of these, he's always just told his what? His story. Paul has just continued to tell his story of faith in Jesus. And I love the way that he does this. So beautifully, because he's basically helping them understand this is how I've gone from terrorist to evangelist. This is my story. I terrorized the people of God, and now I'm preaching to the people I used to be. From terrorist to evangelist. He makes the connection that Jesus is Messiah. And then I want you to see the second thing he does he begins to confess. Do you see the humility in Paul? Do you see this awareness in Paul that, hey, listen, I'm a sinner. Paul's saying, I missed the Messiah just like you're missing him. I I was opposed to anything that had to do with the name of Jesus just like you are. There's this awareness to his sinfulness, to his rebellion against God. And can I just push pause for a second and say, if you're ever gonna come to Jesus like these people did this morning, you have to humble yourself. You have to say, you know what? I am a sinner. The Bible tells us in Romans 3, nobody is righteous. Everyone is sinful. And our only hope is in that of Christ. That's it. But Paul is showing his submission, his awareness, his humility to who he was. And these are the things he said he did. He said he opposed the name of Jesus. He said he locked up the saints. Do you see that little word that he calls the church? I love that. He could have said those people who were following Christ, that he calls them saints. Because they're his family now. They're the people of God. And he understands also in awareness what he's done to the people of God. He's locked them up. He also punished them in synagogues. There's a Jewish tradition of punishment in synagogues where you would whip people for things they'd done wrong. So there's this picture of the Apostle Paul rushing into synagogues, finding people who claim to be Christians, and whipping them out. That, it gets worse. Then some of them he murders and his, his, cast his vote against them. He says he tried to make them blaspheme or, or, or renounce the name of Jesus. Then he uses this phrase that's very interesting. He said, I had a raging fury. That's so descriptive Luke gives us here. Paul said, I had a raging fury against these people. Against these followers of Jesus. I read this and I couldn't help but think of the irony in some of the things he's saying. The first one is this. Paul rushes into the synagogues to punish Christians. To capture Christians. To murder Christians. But then he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, right? His eyes are opened. His life is changed. And he begins, literally a couple of days later, beginning to preach that Jesus is Messiah. Where does Paul go? (laughs) <laughs> he goes to the synagogues don't you think there's some of those people going uh, wait wait <laughs> same guy he goes to the synagogues to find Jewish people to say I found the Messiah his name is Jesus I just think there's some irony in that and then I want you to see he says I had a raging fury against the followers of Jesus that's the exact thing that these people who are accusing him have against him right? They have a raging fury against Paul that they would keep an innocent man in prison. And if they could kill him, they would have done it at the temple. They want him dead. They've had many plots. Just just, uh, send him to Jerusalem so we can give him a trial there. But the text tells us they wanted to jump him. They wanted to kill him on the road. They have a raging fury against Paul. And ironically, that's the very same thing he had against the followers of Jesus, I think there's also an element of this that Paul wants Agrippa and all these Jews that are making these accusations to hear something in his story, right? He wants wants them to get that they are doing the same thing to him that he was doing to Christians and he's admitted he was sinful and wrong. You see that? There's this double message. I was wrong. I had a raging fury. Sound familiar, right? This is what he's doing. He's trying to make this explanation, and yet he tells further details beautifully of his journey and his story from terrorist to evangelist. Acts 26, verse 12, look at it with me. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground I heard a voice saying to me in, Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And, and the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Verse 17, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, there's a lot here to unpack, and I want to I get to all of it. But the first thing I want you to see is Paul saying, listen. He says, I went to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests who are standing here accusing him now. Right, Paul's saying to Agrippa, I used to be on that team. These guys know me. They know, they've known me from my youth. In fact, they commissioned me. They gave me authority to go and chase Christians. They know me. But Paul says very humbly and just truthfully, and notice, his story in all five of these defenses, hadn't changed. You notice that? It's the same story, because it's the truth. He says, something happened to me, King. I was on that team. I was persecuting Christians. I was murdering people, right, in the name of Judaism with a raging fury, and something happened to me. What we were talking about up here, that's what happened to me, oh, King. And then he begins to share this story that we know of from Acts chapter 9, But what's so cool about what Luke uh, captures for us in this story is we get actually a whole lot more information here about the, the road to Damascus and what happens with Jesus and Paul. We get a lot more than what we find in Acts chapter 9. It's very interesting to me. So he captures some more details. Let me show you some of them. First is this. Paul says in Acts chapter 9, or Luke says of Paul, that he falls to the ground, but here, Acts 26, Paul says, everyone that was with him fell to the ground. (laughs) That's a big deal. I have some witnesses. There's some Jewish guard. There's some people who were with me that saw what happened. They were there. They fell to the ground with me. He mentions this information that we don't have in Acts 9. Jesus says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. And if you were like me, you're kind of like, okay, what in the world is a goad? Right? What's that? What's that? Well, a goad is sort of like a, a cow prod. Zzz, you know, of course, they didn't have the zit back then. So they just sharpen sticks. So if you wanted an animal to go the way you wanted him to go, you just poke an animal with that stick, and they most likely will go the direction you want them to go, right? John Stott in his commentary says that to kick against the goads is to foolishly, <laughs> uselessly oppose deity. You get this picture of, you kind of, you want to box with God. you're like, what? I couldn't help but think of the scene from Forrest Gump. What a wonderful movie. I loved it. But here's Lieutenant Dan. He's lost his legs in the Vietnam War. He's angry with God. He curses God. He wants to fight God. And you have this image of Lieutenant Dan on this boat in the middle of a raging sea with a storm all around him. And he's going... He's, he's, he's doing all these things looking at the sky. And it's, I love filmmaking because the shot opens up and you see how little Lieutenant Dan is, right? Just to help us as an audience go, yeah, right, Lieutenant Dan. But don't we do that? Don't we fight God? Don't we push back against the Almighty? And we're just a little man on a raging sea he created. And Jesus says to Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. It doesn't make sense for you to do this, Paul. You kind of get this sense that Jesus is saying, I've been trying to get you to go in a direction. I've been trying to move you in a direction, and you won't go. And so Jesus appears in this unbelievable moment. There's some other things that we see happen here. Jesus tells Paul to stand to his feet because he's got a plan for him. You know, I've been reading through... um, the Bible in my quiet time and I'm I'm up through about Ezekiel and I just a few days ago read this passage in Ezekiel it looked an awful lot like what happened on the road to Damascus look with me Ezekiel 1 verse 28 says such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord and when I saw it I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking and he said to me son of man stand on your feet and I will speak with you And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to the nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. Does that sound familiar? This is an almost identical scene to what's happened with Paul on the road to Damascus. And as as Paul is sharing this, maybe the hope is, listen, I'm sharing this, maybe you'll see that God had a plan for Ezekiel. To tell this rebellious people who they are and and what's going to happen to them. And yet, he's a prophet. And maybe if you see that God did this with Ezekiel, the prophet, that God is doing something with Paul, the prophet. That he wants to say something to a rebellious people in Israel. And so Paul is sharing this with him. He's telling his story because God is calling Paul to a prophetic ministry just as he had Ezekiel. Jesus tells him some other things I think are so interesting. Jesus says in this moment that Paul is relaying to King Agrippa. He says, uh, Paul, I'm, a, I'm appointing you as a servant and a witness to my reality as Messiah. <laughs> You're going to be my servant and my witness. In other words, Paul talks about the fact that he was on commission with the high priest, but because of that moment, because something happened, now he's on commission by the king of kings and the lord of lords. Right? He kind of trumped your commission, high priest. I was following what you wanted, but the lord of lords has commissioned me and sent me to the people. To the Jews and, Gentile, to Jews and Gentiles alike, I'm, I'm sending you, Jesus said. But he says this. He says, I'm going to deliver you from them. I just think this is awesome because for the last two and a half years, Paul has been held by the Jews and the Gentiles. And yet Paul says, but Jesus said he's going to deliver me from the Jews and the Gentiles, right? So in other words, where's your faith, Paul? It's not in what's happening around me. It's not in the dark dungeon walls that, I've, that have been reality for two years. Jesus said he's going to deliver me from the Jews and the Gentiles, and that's exactly what'll happen. I trust that. And then Jesus says, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. He uses this word purpose. This is the purpose I'm appearing to you, Paul. I want you to see the reason here. And look as he lays it. I he says, I want you to open their eyes. In other words, I want you to help everybody see the gospel of Jesus. Open their eyes to the truth. Help them to turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. Help them see it. And then Jesus says, so that they can receive forgiveness. These people this morning... They've received forgiveness. That means they've been saved. They've trusted Jesus to be their Savior. And they're showing the whole world by saying, I'm willing to be baptized. It's this beautiful picture of identification with Jesus, death to my sinful life, rising again with Jesus to a life in Christ. Jesus says, I want you to go so that you can open their eyes so they can receive forgiveness. And I love this. He says, so that they know they have a place among those who are sanctified by me. What do you think that is? Friends, that's the church. That's the body of Christ. Jesus says to Paul, I'm sending you to these places as my servant, as my witness, to open people's eyes to the gospel of, uh, uh, of God, that they know salvation, that they can be forgiven for their sins, and that they can belong to a family. You hear me say all the time, don't just come and attend a service, please. Belong to our family. The church is not a service that you can critique when you go to lunch. No, it's a family to belong to. It's a family to live out life with. It's a family to be honest with. It's a family to ask questions with. It's a, it's a family to be encouraged by and called out. It's a place to belong. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. That people will know that when I forgive their sins, I've got a place for them to belong among those who are sanctified with me. Can I just tell you something? Listen, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you need to belong to a family, you need to be connected to a family, to a church. I'm not talking about attending a service. I'm talking about belonging to a family. And if you're a believer in Jesus and you're not connected to a family, you're living outside the design of God for believers in Jesus. We would love for you to consider this as your family. But if not here, find a place that you can grow and learn in a family of believers. So then uh, Paul's gonna tell Agrippa this. He says, he says, (laughs) Agrippa, with all your kingly robes, with all your uh, pomp, the, the text said from last week. He said, yes, you're king. In essence, Paul's saying, but there's a greater kingdom than yours. <laughs> you, you stand here to judge me and hear me, but one day you will stand before the king of kings and lord of lords, and he will judge you because it's his kingdom that matters. Acts 26, 19 through 23, Paul says, Therefore, O king Agrippa... I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I continued to do what God was calling me to do, verse 20, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ, or Messiah, must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Saying, yeah, I'm standing in a, in a palace, and I'm looking at a king, but there's a greater kingdom. And there's a greater king. It's God's kingdom that you're a part of, Agrippa. And in order to be saved, you must submit yourself. You must humble yourself. You have to bow your knee. Even King Agrippa. I love, uh, I know parents in here, we've, we've probably all done this. We, we tell a story within a story, you ever done that? Your kid keeps doing something over and over and they just won't listen. So you go, huh, let's try a different approach here, right? And so you tell a story hoping that the kid's going, oh, I see the, you know, see the connection. Jesus did this all the time with his disciples. They're called parables. Let me tell you a story and maybe by telling the story you'll get it. Maybe by making that connection and story it'll make sense a little bit more to you. So I just have to feel like Paul's kind of telling this story. But hoping they hear something for their own souls, right? I got to tell you the story, but I sure hope you get what I, what I'm what I'm doing over here, right? Smell what I'm cooking over here, Agrippa. He says, in essence, sort of, I was obedient to God over chief priests. I did what Jesus told me to do. Yes, there was a split in my my uh, allegiance to the. Pharisees, to the chief priest, because Jesus changed my life and I've chosen to be on commission with the king of kings instead of the chief priest. So I did what he told me to do, and my message was this, in essence, sort of to Agrippa and all who would listen, listen up, and even to you this morning, listen up. With all of your heart, listen. Paul says, this was my message, repent and turn to God. You maybe have seen that on a sign on somebody in the street. Maybe you've seen that word before. This is what it means. It means we go in our own direction. We're choosing our own things for life. We do what we want to do. Repenting means we turn from our way and we go God's way. And we begin to walk in the things of God. Paul says that Jesus told him to tell the people to repent. Repent of their sins. Stop doing life their way and go God's way. And then I love the fact that he says this. Teach them to perform deeds in keeping with their repentance. What he's saying is after you've repented, you've turned from your way, and now you're going in God's direction, you want to be obedient to Jesus. It's not just a one decision thing. Okay, I I chose Jesus at camp, and I'm good to go. No, no. I'm repenting that I'm not going my way anymore. I'm going to go God's way, and I'm going to go this way, his way, for the rest of my life. I want my deeds, I want my thoughts, I want my actions, I want everything that I am to be in keeping with that repentance. That's what he's saying. Let your lifestyle be in keeping with your repentance. So I've got this question this morning for you. Does your life look like it's in keeping with your repentance? Are you walking in a direction that says, yes, I repented and I continue to. Because I'm a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus and all I know to do is keep going in the direction of following him. Is that your life? Or maybe you've never repented. May you just say, I'm just gonna continue to go in my way, I think it's best. How's that working out for you? Probably not very well. But can I tell you, no matter how far you've walked your direction, no matter what you've done in your direction, no matter what your opinion is of how you should live your life in your direction, it's never too late to stop right now and turn towards Jesus. It's not too late. Some of these folks, all these folks that were baptized this morning, they're doing that. One of them said to me this morning, I'm, I, I just, I just I don't wanna displease God, I wanna go in the right direction. Yeah, we're not perfect, right? We, We still make mistakes, but that's why we're covered by the blood of Jesus. We continue to make choices that, that honor Christ with our lives and trust his grace when we fall short. So Paul says, these accusers have arrested me. They've been trying to kill me for doing these things. For over two years, they would have killed me in the temple. But he says, but God has helped me. I love that. Paul's just this little guy. You know, if you were with us a few weeks ago, we know that uh, the Roman army, almost 500 soldiers delivered Paul from a prison in Jerusalem to a prison in Caesarea. He's traveling in style. God protecting the gospel by, by a Roman army. And Paul has just seen the protection and provision of God over and over again. He's helped me. And so as he continues to give me life, As he continues to give me an opportunity to to speak, you said I could share, I'm gonna share who he's been to me. I'm gonna share the grace he's given my life. I'm gonna tell you about Jesus and what he told me to speak to you, O King Agrippa. He said, I testify to small and to great. I love that. Right? He's not talking about like short people and he's he's meaning just any old person who has no title. Who has no kingly mansion, no kingly robe, and also to you, King Agrippa. God has called me to preach the gospel to all who would hear. You know why? Because everybody needs the gospel of Jesus, great and small. Everyone, every one of you, we need the gospel of Jesus to save us. And then Paul says what he mentioned in the beginning I've only preached what is prophesied in, in these scriptures. I've only done what I see in scriptures, right? If you're Jewish leaders, you ought to know this because those prophecies say of the gospel in the Old Testament that the Christ would come and he would suffer, right? Isaiah 55 says that he's gonna be the suffering servant, that he'd be pierced hands and feet, that he would die for our transgressions. He says, uh, the prophecies say that Christ, the Messiah, will rise again Psalm 16, Psalm 110 say that he will rise again. He will have an everlasting kingdom. And Paul says that Jesus is proclaiming the light to Jews and Gentiles. Friends, that's what we're doing together. That is the gospel of Jesus. That is the great commission of Jesus that was mentioned this morning. That we continue to speak this truth to anyone who would hear it. Not just to Jews, right? To nations all around the world. That one day, the Revelation says, every tribe, nation, and tongue will be singing the praises of God. Not just the Jews, right? So Paul's tried to make this connection to the Messiah. That this is not a a new message, but an old one. You need to surrender and recognize what I missed. That Jesus is Messiah. Paul uses his story, his testimony, to say, I was wrong. I missed it. But by God's grace and by this unbelievable moment in my life, I went from terrorist to evangelist. And then Paul testifies before King Agrippa just the way Jesus said he was going to. And he does it in such a way that hopefully King Agrippa will hear what he needs to do. He needs to repent. He needs to humble himself. He needs to bow on his own knee and say, I'm not the greatest king. Jesus is the king. So as we close, let me just ask you this. What, what do we see? We, we preach through these narrative scriptures, and we kind of go, okay, what does it mean for me? How do I live my life? How does this information change what I believe as a believer in Jesus? Or help me to walk in a way that honors him more? Well, let me ask you this question. How is it possible that Paul and the Jewish priest? have the same Old Testament scriptures, and yet their lives look completely different. How is that? They say they believe the same things, and yet here's Paul believing Messiah and the chief priest wanting to kill him. Well, I don't think it's much different than people today who call themselves Christians, who say they believe at least partially in the Bible. They come to church on occasion, and yet their lifestyles, they don't match up to somebody who's a believer in Jesus. It's the same Bible. We got people who are loving the Lord and surrendering their lives and being obedient, who say they believe the Bible, and people who have nothing to do with the Bible. But they say they believe it. They say they're Christians. What Do you see the disconnect? It's the same disconnect. I was thinking about, you know how we do agreements now? If you buy an app on your phone, or if you buy some software, they're going to send you this 4,000-page agreement, right? Who reads those things? Anybody? It's kind of like the Jewish leaders went, yeah, we get it. I, I agree, <laughs> right? That's what we do with those things. We just go, I'm not reading this mess. I agree. I just want to play the game, whatever. That's kind of like what these Jewish leaders have done. They don't really understand the very book that they're supposed to represent, They don't understand what God is doing in the world. I ask you this question this morning. Do you really understand what it means to be a Christ follower? Do you know? It's not religion. It's not a a list of rules to keep. It's not a church service to attend. It's a life of grace to live with people that are also being sanctified by Jesus in his church. These Jewish leaders didn't get it. They wanted positions without the practice. They wanted to lead the Jewish people, but not live the lifestyle of the people of God. Same thing happens today. We want to be spiritual people, but not biblical people, right? Well, I think God does this. Well, great. You know, your opinion of what God does, and a dollar will get you a Coke and a Coke machine. It doesn't mean much. We have to stand on something that means more. And what we stand on is the truthful, holy word of God. That's the only thing we can stand on. We wanna be spiritual people but not biblical people. We wanna be the ones who decide right and wrong instead of just trusting God's word and living by that. Jesus called these Pharisees whitewashed tombs, right? In other words, he says, man, you look good on the outside. You got a fresh paint job on the outside. But inside, it's just a bunch of death. May that not be true of who we are, South City Church. May we be a people who internally, our interior life is full of abundant life in Jesus. And it radiates out to the world. That's who we need to be. Not a fake people who covers over the exterior and we're dead inside. If that's your heart today, come to this altar in just a moment and repent and let God change your life. A couple of things before we go. Paul allowed his story to be used for God's glory and his mission. He was humble. He recognized that he needed a Savior, and he followed Christ to the end of his life. I mean, from the day God called him to the day Rome beheaded him, he was following Christ with his life Allow your story of grace to be used for God's glory and his mission, but you have to surrender. Paul was given this mission by Jesus, and I'll just remind you of the things he said. I think it's so interesting, this new information about that meeting on the road to Damascus. Jesus says, I want you to open their eyes to the truth. Help them to stop living in the darkness or power of Satan and show them the light of Jesus They need to receive forgiveness. They need to be redeemed. They need to know that I love them, that I want to save them. I want to change their eternity if they'll trust me. And then I want them to take their place, I love it so much, with those who are sanctified by faith in me, the church. He tells people they need to repent. Stop walking in their direction and trust God and go in his. Often we're kind of Like, I don't know, I don't know which way to go. Repent. And let your life, your deeds, your actions, your thoughts, everything about you be in keeping with your repentance. God helped Paul tell his testimony. Helped him, uh, protected him, watched over him so that he could give this testimony to King Agrippa II. Don't be afraid to share your story. Don't be afraid to share who you've been, who you've not been, mistakes you've made. And allow God to use that honesty, that authenticity for his glory with someone else. May our lives, may the stories of our lives persuade people to the love of Jesus. That's our hope, right? That's our prayer. Pray with me this morning. Father, thank you so much for the privilege to open your word. God, thank you for the joy of seeing people come to know you, Jesus, and follow you in obedience and baptism. Lord, I pray that they would continue to take deeper steps of following you. This is just the beginning. They have a place they now belong. I pray that they would make this their church family, that they would walk with us, that we could disciple one another, that we could encourage one another to Christ likeness that our lives could be in keeping with our repentance, not just in a decision, not in just a quick moment, but Lord, for the rest of our days, that we would walk in such a way that would be in keeping with repentance, trusting you, walking in your way. God, every person within the sound of my voice in this moment has a choice to make. Do I know Jesus as my savior? Am I walking in my own way? If I were to die today, do I know I would go to heaven? God, may their eyes be opened to the gospel of Jesus. Lord, will you take them from the power of Satan and darkness that they're living in and move them to the power of God and to the light. Jesus, would you save souls for your glory that they would turn to you in repentance and they would live the rest of their lives following you there may be somebody here today jesus move in their soul move in their heart and do what only you can do father god draw them to yourself we pray it by your grace through faith in jesus name amen